Good evening. Am I turn on? Yeah. Yes. Uh, let's pray before we uh, turn to God's word. Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks uh, for the privilege that it is to gather together freely to, to worship you, to sing songs of praise, to see uh, children brought into the family of faith. And so, Lord, we pray tonight, whatever we've come from, uh, whatever we are going to, that in this place uh, we might leave having perhaps met you for the first time or being renewed in the things that are from you as we live for you. And so, Lord, we pray not of things of us, but that your word would speak, that you would challenge our misconceptions, encourage our living, and by your spirit, bring us more into your presence. Amen. Good evening. Uh, it's, uh, it's great to be here with you. Uh, my name is Andrew. Uh, I normally sometimes sneak into the back, so it's strange to uh, be standing at the front. Uh, the last time I was here was last Sunday, and so it seems like a different view from up here. Uh, the lights are a lot brighter, uh, and the faces are a lot more, but we give thanks uh, for the privilege to gather together. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was in Washington, in D.C., uh, on a, a holiday. I decided to take myself off, and uh, I got rather scruffy in complexion. My beard had become somewhat uneven, and my hair overgrown. Uh, so I decided to get a haircut, and uh, I found a place to get a cut, but it wasn't really there. But it was on the way uh, out from that barber's, uh, that expensive barber's, uh, and note to yourself, check prices before you get your haircut in the center of D.C., uh, $80 is a lot for a haircut, especially when you've as little hair as I do. <laughs> but as I was walking down the street, uh, sort of perplexed by the exchange rate, uh, due to Liz Trust and her mini budget, uh, I found myself interrupted by a shout of good morning, uh, by a loud voice, good morning. Now, I was in a city by myself, I didn't know anyone, I wasn't going to meet anyone, uh, so I wasn't really expecting it to be for me, so I sort of kept on walking, uh, and then I heard it again, good morning, uh, you with the beard. <laughs> so, bemused, obviously, I stopped uh, and looked up, uh, and there was uh, a gentleman in front of me, and I said, good morning. Now, I wasn't expecting a conversation, it was nearly lunch, I was hungry, uh, I had been overcharged, so wanted to perhaps uh, drown my sorrows in food, uh, but I was surprised by how he responded to me, and it was that surprise that brought me to stop there. Uh, it wasn't a, no a natural conversation. He didn't ask me how I was, he didn't uh, continue with sort of questions about the weather or politics. He said, thank you. Thank you for seeing me, thank you for responding to me, and thank to God for your stopping. Now, I find myself thinking, what a strange thing to be thankful for, me uh, stopping to talk to you. But no sooner had we stopped and began to converse, uh, did this conversation get stranger and stranger. He was a man who oozed thankfulness. I had never met him at this point. I didn't even know his name. But at every junction in the conversation, he just took time to express uh, not sort of a false thankness, but genuine thankness to God for the weather, for the day, for this conversation. With After a few minutes, he asked, could he then perform for me his spoken word or poem, for want of a better phrase, about thankfulness and faith unto God. So here I am in the middle of the street with this very excitable gentleman performing a spoken word with the people walking about going, what on earth is going on? 
he was thankful. And harvest is this strange season in the church year, if I must confess. I don't overly like it in the Church of Ireland where I serve. We do it a lot and we sing very few hymns. So it's nice together, as in we sing a select few hymns, plowing the fields and scattering. So it's nice tonight to sing different songs. But that sense of harvest is one of thankfulness. That we come together each year, regardless of what the year has been, to give thanks for God, to God, for His goodness to us from the land. We are a thankful people. It is often a season or time of year when we see some people for a sort of continued time, perhaps when we feel drawn out to church. But it's a season of thankfulness might be in the beauty of pausing and Tesco's in those simple movements of everyday normal when we take milk from the fridge without actually thinking of the journey to get it there or from the bakery and as does we lift a fresh loaf of bread without ever realizing the privilege or blessing that that is but harvest calls us or reminds us really time and time again to give thanks to give thanks for God's goodness to us as individuals, to us as a people in the simplest of things, in common grace, if you want to say. Harvest reminds us to be thankful. Not even that we are to be a thankful people, but actually that in our thankfulness, we are to see perspective, if you want to say, that namely all good gifts are from God and dependent on God, whether we think about them or not whether we've ever stopped to consider the numerous factors at play in good harvest from weather, soil quality, the farmers, and so on, whether we've even thought about the logistical uh, sort of ripple effect from the war in Ukraine to grain supplies, harvest calls us each time to stop and to give thanks for God, to God, and for God's goodness to us. But actually, our psalm tonight, this Psalm 65 that Jeff read, more than that, than just sort of calling us to this generic thankfulness, really grounds our thankfulness in, and this isn't intentional, in three sort of points. We see that we're to be thankful to God for His goodness to us in terms of in the temple. Then we're to be thankful to God, that's the sort of verses 1 to 4. Then we're to be thankful for God for His rule, His sovereign reign over all the earth, verses 5 to 8. And then finally, we're to be thankful uh, that while we might plow the fields and scatter, it's God's hands that waters them uh, for God's providence to us in verses uh, 9 to 13 in this psalm. Psalm 65 marks the beginning of a section of psalms that are known as the Psalms. They are corporate hymns of thanks. The psalms before have been marked by individual expression, but now we move into this corporate voice that rejoices to God, that gives praise to God for His goodness in a multiplicity of things. And so it's a, it's a potent psalm for a night like this as we gather together as we give thanks to God for His goodness to us in the simplest of things. But actually, here tonight, from the start, we're challenged to consider what it is we're actually, or what we should actually be most thankful for. The structure of something is always important. You don't read a book at the end, 
although some people might, to try and pretend that they've read it. You don't start a TV series in the middle, and you don't build a house from the roof down. You start at the beginning, and it's at the beginning of this psalm that David, as he writes, challenges us, calls us to consider, above all, God's rule, God's providence, the great thing that we are to be thankful for, namely God's forgiveness to us that forgiveness that is made known here, and that actually all other things without this are pointless. That if we are not an individual or a person, a people who know this in terms of thankfulness and gratitude, all other things pale into insignificance. It's the structure that grounds God's rule and the praise for it, God's providence and the simplest of things, firstly in God's forgiveness that is offered to those who come to him. It's the foundation of our thankfulness. It's the foundation of our living thankfully every day, regardless of where we are, because we know this big picture. And it's beautiful because God... David dives us in, not to a large picture here, but into the temple courts where all are called in. It's the smallest of creations because it's from this simple place that eternal things are dealt with. From this one location that God, that we are challenged to consider, not just our today, not just what tomorrow may bring in terms of providence, but what we have been made for in light of eternity. It's this, we're shown here that we might rejoice in a God who has ordered the world, who rules over the world. We might even believe in that if we don't know Christ as Lord. We might be, give thanks in some sentimental sense each year for God's pro, providing through the land. Yet, it pales into insignificance if first and foremost we don't grasp this, that we are sinful and that in our sin we are affecting the very things we have been made for in light of eternity. Unless we are truly thankful for this, none of it matters. Verses 1 to 3, we see the goodness of God's forgiveness. More than that, actually, the beauty of His forgiveness that is made known to us, that is offered to us, not by our hand, but by His. It's tangible in that we can experience it, yet it is incomprehensible in that we will never master it. It's presented here as this new discovery that every day, that we can enter into it and find something more. It's like a galaxy in that we can explore it and never run out of discovery when it comes to God's forgiveness, God's goodness, and God's grace. Praise await you, O God in Zion, the NIV renders it. Why does it await him? Why is God due our praise in the sense of the ESV? Because as one commentator notes, God's goodness to his people is such as to afford constantly new matters of praise. It is diffused over the whole world, but specifically, it is shown to Christ's church. God is good to all people. We rejoice and give thanks, but there are eternal implications at play here. It's not just about the common goodness of God. It's about the specific goodness of God here made known to his children 
in this case. It's those who worship in the temple courts, but we know that to be, to look forward to those who will one day worship in His presence, that the church of God is the temple of God by the Spirit of God. We see a God who is not far off, who is not removed from the world that He has created, but is rather close and personal. A God who can be approached. A God who is willing and wanting to be approached by those who come to Him. A God who is not selective or shows favoritism in those who can come to Him or the prayers that He might hear. No, for us this evening, the psalmist here names God as the God who hears all prayers. He is the hearers of prayers. It is part of His goodness. It is part of a revelation of His grace. Yet, more profoundly than that, it's not that He's reluctant in hearing our prayers. He wants to. I don't know if you've ever paused at things that have become so normal and assumed in church and faith, but the very audacity of the claim that we have a God of the universe who not only is reluctant in allowing our approach or hearing from us, but desires that we approach, not out of need or want, but out of goodness. And so the psalmist cries and longs at verse 3, all of you must come, all of us must come to you. He cries out in trust to God, knowing God, and knowing and assuming then this goodness that it can be done. Calvin comments on this. The hypocrites and the ungodly who pray under the constraint of present necessity are not heard, for they cannot be said to come to God when they have no faith founded upon his word but a mere and vague expectation of a chance issue. And so tonight, it's, this image is not one of sort of universal welcome, but is one of welcome for those who have grasped first this state of thankfulness, that our hearts must belong to Him. The first thing we can give thanks for and delight in is the wonderful truth that God, because He is merciful, because he is good, because he is loving, can be approached. Because he is concerned with us, will hear our prayers, is active in the world, but yet more than that, makes a way that we might approach him. The psalm lives with this longing hope that all might come, but that David here is no fool. He knows that all will not. It's a matter not of a approach, but of how. Can anyone approach the throne of God? Of course, but first and foremost, our hearts must belong to Him. We must be those who have recognized our sin, our uh, separation from God in light of eternity. We must be those who have grasped this fundamental truth that we are in broken relationship with God. And hence, David writes in verse 3, when we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgive our transgressions. David longs that all may be drawn in as such to the temple courts, that all may come to God in prayer, perhaps even here acknowledging that at some point all people may pray. But there's no fool here. There's no innocence in assuming. The reality is 
that only the forgiven are truly brought in. It is the forgiven who can intercede in confidence and trust that God is at work because first and foremost they are thankful not for simple things but for the great thing, this eternal truth that God, because of his love for us, has made a way for us to know him. By grace we have been saved. To God we look and we give thanks for every aspect of his li- our lives, his rule over a chaotic world, his light in an ever-darkening day, his providing in the simplest of things. And yet here, this great picture of grace stands alone. It stands unique in the course of human history. It stands profound in terms of its individual impact. God's forgiveness of sin. It is the sole thing that we must make sure that we are thankful for tonight. Wonder if I asked you what are you truly thankful for, how you would answer. In this chaotic world that goes from disaster to conflict, where we're affected by costs of living and worry about what tomorrow may bring, All of it is real and God is concerned with it. Yet, if we are those who first have grasped his heart for us, then it begins to peel into insignificance because we know that in a temporary world, our eternity is secure. All the details of life are important to God. Hence, God delights in hearing them, delights in his people who bring them to him in prayer. Yet, To negate our biggest issue tonight, sin, is to do a disservice to God's goodness. Why is it our biggest issue? Because it it separates us from God. Not just today, but in light of what we were made for, an eternal relationship with Him. We were made to dwell with Him. Screwtape, in C.S. Lewis's book, writes to his nephew Woodworm, they, humans, live in time. But our enemy, God, destines them for eternity. And so the devil longs to keep us in our sin. Our devil, the devil longs to keep us from eternity with God. And so we might strive to rid ourselves of it. We may try to live moral lives. We may try to be good people, all of which is important, yet pointless, if not first we realize that this is something beyond ourselves. We might think the sort of yearly approach to church will do something in light of this eternal picture, but we cannot do this ourselves. Politician was asked what it's like leading their political party, and I quote him. He says, I was absolutely helpless, so helpless that I couldn't even convey my helplessness. But all the time, It was churning within me because of what was happening, that state of helplessness. What is sin? It is our helplessness in light of eternity. It is our transgressions of God's law, 1 John 3, 4. It's our active participation in rebellion against God where we have chosen to worship other things in light of who he is and what he has done for us. Deuteronomy 9, verse 7. Sin is the things that we put before God 
the things we love instead of God. And yet, it is God who makes a way to deal with sin. We have erred and strayed from our ways like lost sheep. Rhymes the old famous prayer. Following too much the devices and desires of our own hearts, offended against God's holy laws, having left undone those things we ought to have done and done those things that we ought not to have done. There is no help in us, but there is help in God. When we were helpless, He provides the help. When we were overwhelmed by sin, the psalmist cries, Who made forgiveness possible? God, you forgive our transgressions. And so no sooner have we seen the subject of guilt referred to, does the psalmist, does David recognize God's prerogative to pardon and to expedite it? You forgive our transgressions. This structure grounds all other thankfulness, all other joy, gratitude in light of this. So if we take nothing from tonight, we must ponder and wrestle with this. What are our hearts truly thankful for? The forgiveness of God is not granted by our merit. It's not given by striving or title or bloodline, but by faith. So good is God that he not only makes it possible this road to relationship with him, that he doesn't leave it to us to choose. He chooses us. Verse 4, blessed are those you chose and bring near to live in your courts. God calls us. And so this gift of forgiveness, this great thing of thankfulness, we can rejoice all the more. We can be glad all the more because it is not from us. And if we cannot choose it, then we cannot unchoose it. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep gone astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. There are many things to be thankful for in life, but there is one thing that affects your eternity. There is one thing that affects us in light of what we have been made for, relationship with God. How is this forgiveness made known to us? The Jewish sacrificial system pointed to one to come. We are those who look back knowing that he has come. 1 Peter 2, 24, 5. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Why? So that we might die to death, die to sins, and live for righteousness. It's by grace, through faith, in the work of Christ that we are saved. More beautifully, it's grace extended to us by the hand of God, chosen, freed, and able to live thankfully and joyfully. What are you thankful for this night? As we think of that image of the temple courts, we remember the great pictures of the New Testament that it is not a building where God dwells, but a people. You and me, commoners, called by a king, 
with a debt paid by the king himself that we might enjoy his presence and his goodness. And so as we're thankful for that, the psalmist moves on, David moves on to expand the goodness of God, the grace of God made known to to the world. He's made clear that above all the wonders of the world, all the marvels of God that we might see, that the one thing we must be grounded in is God's forgiveness. But that is that shapes our heart. So it begins to shape how we see the wider world. So it begins to shape how we understand the very days that we live in. For we are not amid chaos, but we are under a king. Forgiveness points to the rule of God who from the beginning has worked something to his purposes, all things to his purposes. And so the cross is both our remembrance of forgiveness, that display of power, glory, and grace, but it also reminds us each day what it is we are thankful for. The goodness of God made known not just in our lives, but in the world around us. We see clearly As we look at the world, Paul reminds us in Romans 1 that they have no excuses as they have looked at the world. They've seen the hand of God. We gave you stats about the sun's distance from the earth, about the perfection of creation. But the Psalms point, and the point of uh, Paul as he writes in the beginning of Romans 1, the Psalms point here in verses 5 to 8, It's not about convincing the human mind or logic. So much simpler than that. It is a call to open your eyes. To stop. To take a moment and ponder the world around us. To smell the flowers. And and how could you not think of something beyond? How could you not see the hand of God? And so, if you have, if you've done these things... It reminds David, then you see something to be thankful for. Yes, God's forgiveness, but also God's rule. He is the one who draws near to us in this broken world, but more profoundly than that, he is the one who is at work and ruling and directing all things in this broken world. So we have imagery that speaks to Jewish fears. The highest mountains are not formed by natural occurrence or the strength of men, but by the power of God who has armed himself with strength. The rain and the uncontrollable sea that humankind, no person could ever tame, that is the image of chaos in Jewish thought, Jewish theology. Think of Revelations, when the beast comes out of the sea. That sea, says David as he writes, as he sings here, is tamed by God. That sea has no power. He stills the roaring waves. He stills the roaring of the sea. God is sovereign. There is no iota out of his control, no event beyond his scope, no occurrence in history that surprises him as the cross was planned so all things are part of God's plan even the tumult of the nations these have been strange days it was uh, surreal in some way to watch uh, the dollar and the pound get closer together uh, and my bank banks 
bank balance suffer as coffee went from about 3.30 at the start to about £4.10, uh, which is an expensive Americano. Uh, it, it just showed really the, the frivolous nature of the world that we live in, that we are but under some sense of illusion that these days get better. One event can change so much. A budget with unfunded tax cuts suddenly sends ripples around the world. And yet, the psalmist reminds us that God is sovereign over the mountains, Lord of the oceans, and King of kings over the turmoil of the nations. A peaceful truth to be thankful for against currency chaos, that God's rule and reign will last longer than any prime minister, even six weeks, any president. They come and go, empires rise and fall, but the king of kings is on his throne. And thus, when we look to the world around us, as we see glimpses of God's grace in the simplest of things, in the rule over all things, as we look upon the turmoil of our nations and try to figure out even by Friday who our prime minister might be, and if by next Friday we may have another one, we trust that while human rule is corrupt, God's rule is good. One author writes, creation will never stop declaring the excellencies of our king, and we will never exhaust all that makes him excellent. And so as we give thanks for God's grace and forgiveness to us, as we give thanks for God's rule and control and sovereign reign over the chaos of the world, we're moved then to join in the songs of praise as we give thanks for God's provision to us. You care for the land and water it, writes the psalmist. Verse 9, you enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with grain. Why? Because God has ordained it. We've seen the grace of God made known in the forgiveness of God, that great truth, that ultimate truth of all truths through Jesus Christ. We've been challenged to see the grace of God amid the chaos in the world around us. And hence, it's only fitting, really, that the last imagery of the psalm sort of grounds in this harvest season, that in the simplest things of the land, God's hand is at work above and beyond the hand of any farmer. What do these last five verses point us to? Well, it's that great harvest refrain, God our maker doth provide for our wants to be supplied. Tonight, the psalmist calls us to give thanks for so much, but finishes with that constant reminder that in a world of chaos, there is one who provides. We might enjoy the toils and tolls of the land. We may even labor and see seeds planted in our gardens to bear fruit, but above it all, in it all, it is not our hand that brings it about. It's God's hand. It's God who waters the streams to feed the grains. It's God who softens the soil dug by human hands to bring furrows. Why? Because it is God who ordains it so. It's God who provides for our great needs in sin and for the simplest of our needs. Do not worry about tomorrow, said Jesus, for even the birds of the air 
and the animals of the field are provided for. And so we are those who give thanks for God's goodness to us in the simplest of everyday things. The psalm closes it with this corporate hymn of praise by reminding us that there is always something to be thankful for because God is good and can be trusted. All of humankind knows his goodness in everyday things. And yes, there are places that have lack. There are places under drought these days. But there is enough for all if only sin was gone. All good gifts around us are sent from heaven above. We thank you, God. We thank you, God, for all your love. Back on the street in Washington, my conversation with Robert continued as he espoused to me how thankful he was for the fact that I was simply talking to him. Even though I'm pretty sure he couldn't make my accent out, uh, he seemed to continue to engage as he unfolded the many difficulties that he had went through in the, the days of his life. The heart attack that had put him in hospital but a few weeks ago, the mental scars of war uh, that had ravaged his life since he'd come home and served, See, Robert was homeless, and as he sat before me, he sat on a, a sort of rollator with a chair, and he looked like someone who was homeless. He looked like someone who had really, in the world's eyes, no reason to be thankful, no reason to rejoice. He told me about a conversation that he'd had just the day before when someone, as he'd probably done something similar, said to him, what have you to be thankful for? What have you to be thankful for? What God would leave you in such a position? What God would even use someone like you? They asked him. As he told this story, I could see his heart. I could see his sort of passion boiling up. And no sooner had he pointed at me as the one sort of telling the story. He began to stand. He looked at me. He shuffled his sort of ruler out of the way and set it aside as he seemed to be readying himself for something. And he said something along the lines of the God who has kept me above the ground is the God who has a purpose for me on this ground. He provides for me every day my health, the fact that I'm still living from this heart attack. He looks out for me every day. I always have somewhere to lay my head. And the God who has forgiven someone like me, lady, this, uh, can forgive someone like you, not obviously to me, but to her. That's why I am thankful. That God is a good God. And that God will always use someone like me, and can even use someone like you. And I thought, fair play. The challenge is harvest is simple as we finish. It's to stop. It's to ponder. It's to look upon the world around us and see God's goodness to us in the greatness of things, in the simplest of things. But it's to ask that question. What are our hearts truly thankful for? Because there is only one thing that affects our eternity, where we stand before God in light of Christ. There is no gray area 
of it. It is either we are his children in his court, enjoying his presence, secured in light of eternity and the turmoil of the world, or we are those who continue to trust and worship and pursue other things. We may appreciate the beauty of God's goodness in the world. We may be glad that he is on his throne. But tonight, unless we respond to his invitation to us, his reach to bring us into his courts and confess Christ as Lord, trusting that his dying has destroyed our death and his rising has restored our life, then all our thanks will pale into insignificance. But... When we know Christ, then we can be a people who are truly thankful, who join with the hymns that seem to sing from all of creation here. Verse 8, the whole earth is filled with your awe and wonder. When morning dawns, where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. In verse 13, the meadows are covered and the valleys are mantled with grain. They shout for joy and they sing. Tonight, let us be those who are truly thankful, not for the good fruits of the land, but for God's forgiveness made known to us in Christ as we allow that to shape our lives and our living. Let us pray. (coughs) Gracious Heavenly Father, you are good to us, not because we've earned it, not because we deserve it, but far from it, Lord, but because you are a good God who can be trusted and can be known. And so, Lord, tonight we pray that all of us here are first those who are thankful and rejoice and express gratitude for the forgiveness that we know through the faith in your Son. And then as we know that and live it, may we see your hand at work in the world and rejoice in your goodness to us so that others too might come and encounter the risen Savior and know the wonder of life with him. Amen.